Welcome to the Moose Room, everybody. We are talking about using beef on your dairy today. Brad, Emily, and I, just three of us again. We hope you enjoy this episode. Again, we really do want to hear from you. If you have questions, comments, or as you'll hear in the episode, anything you disagree with that you'd like us to know about that you disagree with, send them to the Moose Room at umn.edu. That's T-H-E-M-O-O-S-R-O-O-M at umn.edu. Any other questions, anything you want to reference, we can always find some more information on extension.umn.edu. All right. Welcome to the Moose Room, everybody. Today we are talking about dairy cross beef genetics or using beef on your dairy. Brad is our expert again. He is here to tell us everything we need to know. Emily and I will be questioning him and trying to get uh, get him all riled up and angry. Hopefully you'll get to hear <laughs> quite a few opinions today that you may or may not agree with, but uh, that's that's the idea. We're, we're gonna... I am definitely not an expert on dairy beef genetics, but I'll give it a go. Well, you are an expert on sharing your opinions on dairy beef genetics, and Joe and I have master's degrees in getting you riled up. So that, you, you are right. I there. think we got this. We, we've got it. I think it's the way to go. So to kick everything off, I think we'll just go background first and talk about why, why did the dairy industry really start using beef genetics? Well, that's a good question. There's so many things that you could think about why people use beef genetics. Everybody likes to blame it on sex semen. I think sex semen, yes, does have some of the issue with that uh, that has caused more heifers in the in the dairy world um, but some of it is reduced price for beef uh, dairy beef bull calves not dairy beef but uh, you know dairy bull calves uh, the price has been reduced uh, quite a, a lot you know i think back to our morris dairy herd two three years ago bull calves were leaving at $450 and today they're maybe worth $50. So, and some you can't even give away. Uh, that's a problem too. Um, I think they're- No, worth, I know guys that have had to pay to get somebody to come and take their calves. I know. And I, I think that's kind of sad actually, but uh, some can be processing too. You know, you can't, some of these processors aren't set up to take big Holstein steers. They're just too tall. They can't fit in these processing plants. So- I don't, I think there's a lot of things why people have decided to use that. The market has probably dictated that. Yeah, I think there's, there's a lot of different things that happen. And, and part of it, like you said, is that if you're having to give away calves um, or pay someone to get rid of them, or you can't get rid of them at all, that pushes more sex semen and that kind of perpetuates everything as well. Is this, is this a new thing, Brad, or is this, is this something we've seen in the past? No, I think it's been around for a little bit. And I think, you know, some people have probably always used some beef genetics in their dairy herds. Probably some have used it to get some cows pregnant that they maybe couldn't get pregnant. So they just use some, I'll say Angus, because that's the one that people used uh, quite a bit uh, in the past. But if you think about back in the, you know, 60s and 70s, a lot of people bred their dairy herd to beef. They just didn't need all those replacements. We, uh, you know, culling rates were lower. Uh, herds were, you know, trying to expand. So, you know, they bred the bottom genetic animals to beef. So 
you know, 20 to 30% of dairy animals were bred to beef really. So it's been around a while and it's certainly not a new phenomenon, but it's sort of gained traction in the last few years again. That's one of the things that we kind of tend to forget about when we're talking about this whole conversation is that beef calf is supposed to be worth more. And that's the, a lot of the main drive and what gets the most of the press, but you're making a lot of early culling decisions. And, and that is a huge value to a dairy when you can say, all right, I'm raising the least amount of heifers that I absolutely need to, because uh, that cost is also skyrocketed to raise a, a replacement. And then you're deciding very early on before you've invested a lot into trying to get a cow pregnant uh, on who you're going to call and who's not going to be around or you're not going to use their genetics on your dairy anymore. So that, I think that's a huge piece of it that makes it a big value and it just doesn't seem to come up in conversation very often. You think about genomic testing. Genomic testing has probably led people to breed animals to beef because if they get a genomic test on an animal, they can try and select the animals that are of lower genetic merit and breed those to beef uh, so you don't have any offspring off of them. So that's probably driven genomic testing has maybe driven some use towards beef as well. Go ahead, Em. Oh, thank you. So kind. Um, are there also just reproductive benefits to this? Because I've heard anecdotally on farms, guys will be like, hey, yeah, I put, you know, Holstein semen in her a couple times, couldn't get her bread back, just, you know, threw this in and that's what uh, kept. So are there other, you know, reproductive type benefits or things to keep in mind when doing dairy beef crossing? Now you want me to put my PhD hat on, don't you? <laughs> uh, that was the goal. So there's been no real good research out there that says breeding, say, a Holstein to another breed will have improved fertility. Uh, there's, you know, when people started crossbreeding in the early uh, time period with Jersey and stuff, we didn't really see improvements in fertility of that Holstein cow bred to another breed we see it you see it in the crossbred and there's been a you know Holstein semen Jersey semen all that purebred semen it's good quality semen it's it's there's nothing wrong with it and uh, it's more of the cows that have the the issue than per se the semen so it's hard to to know but I'm not sure that there's a huge benefit at least I haven't seen it if you breed a, an animal and it's going to magically get pregnant faster if you breed it to another breed and you think about what's happening in that situation where you start breeding with Holstein, 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 and then you decide to switch to beef. What, what you've done is just increased her days in milk and she would have been more likely to get pregnant no matter what. You switch to beef because you're making a calling decision and it just appears like that conception rate is higher, but really it's just a cow factor. And I don't think it would have mattered if you put Holstein in her that time or beef. It's just that Beef is what got her pregnant because of where she was in milk and and because she was more likely to get pregnant anyway. Well, then I'm going to put my pot stirrer hat on since we're all wearing our hats and just point out that, you know, a lot of you just kind of dispelled things that a lot of farmers believe like, oh yeah, this other breed will just, that will be the magic bullet there, right? So. Right. And and we just don't have the data. Get ready for some hate mail to the moose room at umn.edu. Yes. The moose room at umn.edu. 
and sometimes I think that too, if you throw it, it's like, oh, she gets pregnant. Maybe we should do that more. And it's, yeah, it's cow specific. It's, it's tough to really tell. I, I would call that. I don't, I don't think we have any data either way. So it could be true. It might not be. I tend to lean that it's not true. Um, conception rates on whole, on these Holstein bulls that are from these genetic companies, they're, they're going to be high. They have to be or else that bull wouldn't, wouldn't be around. That's right, because he's breeding a lot of purebreds too. When we look at a dairy animal and we look at the end, right? We're looking at the packer, we're looking at the packing plant, and Brad already brought this up a little bit. They're they're too big. We know that, and that, that becomes an issue for processing. But one of the things that we know is that we know they're going to be big, right? And And the thing that I always come back to is when we ask the question or we're talking about these these beef on dairy cross animals, they should be worth more. But the reasons they're worth more, I think, is where we need to we need to look. Because a Holstein is actually a really good beef animal, right? A purebred Holstein makes really, really good meat. And I'm sure you've seen that, Brad. You've done some studies on some of the, the carcass traits, right? Where you're looking at marbling and things like that. Yeah, I know a Holstein steer will go primer choice of more often than not. So they're, yeah, the beef quality is really good. Not only does the packer know what they can pay for them, knows how to use them, knows how they fit in the system. Everything is a known when it comes to Holstein for the most part. And you can argue about calf health because that's, that's never known coming off a of dairy sometimes. So the reason that we're talking about that is because we have to highlight why a beef cross dairy animal should be worth more. So can you can you go into that a little bit, Brad? Tell us why should it be worth more than a than a Holstein calf? Probably the big thing is is rate of gain. You get much faster gain. Uh, you can probably finish that uh, dairy beef or beef calf much faster than say a Holstein steer. You know, if you're thinking some of the other breeds, whether that's a Jersey steer or a Guernsey steer or a Brown Swiss steer. It takes a long time. It takes much longer to finish those. So, and that costs money, you know, labor, maintenance, feed. And so the faster you can get them to market with the most carcass yield uh, really wins. So that's, that's, I think with these dairy beef crosses, they can just get to market faster and on the same terms as a beef calf. So it really doesn't affect them a whole lot. What about, what about hide color and all that in the value? Is that really a, a thing that we look at being a, a piece of the value anymore? Oh boy. You want to open a can of worms on hide color? Oh yeah, of course. Every, everybody <laughs> likes their meat from black animals. I, I think that's what the perception out there is that a black hided animal gets more money at the, at the packer. And that's maybe possible here in the Midwest where a lot of things tend to be sort of black hided, whether it's Angus or, you know, limousine or Semmental or whatever your breed that you can make black is. But I think if you go to other parts in the country, it's, I don't think that it's all that, uh, obviously black has a distinction, but it's not all that crazy. You go, you know, I was in California a few months ago and you go out there and there's a lot of red cattle and, and uh, all their colored cattle that aren't black that do just fine uh, on the rail. So I don't know. It's hard to tell whether black is losing its luster a little bit. I think the problem is, is that we've all decided that black gets paid for more. So 
that's just what we do. Yeah, what you see is at the packer, the packer probably doesn't necessarily care what hide color there is because once it's off, they all look, they're just worried about the carcass, right? I think where you see maybe some difference in price might be when you're looking at selling a group of calves at the barn because we've started to stress uniformity so much, right? And color is just one of those things you can pick out right away. So I think it, it potentially can affect you if you're going to be selling to a feeder or a feedlot. But the packer, I don't think the packer cares at all. They want performance on that carcass. And I don't think they care if the hide is black or red or white or black and white. That's right. They're looking for things to go choice or, or higher. And if you can, you know, get a red, a red animal to do that, hey, more power to you. I, you know, Jersey steers will go prime if you, uh, if you feed them correctly and give them time. You can get a, with all that marbling and a Jersey beef uh, a steer. Wow. Taste yummy. Absolutely. It might be the, the best tasting steak I've had is from a Jersey. Yeah, there. I always like the Jersey steers. My brother raises steers, and that's always my request. Like, when you get a Jersey, put me down for a quarter. But well, I was gonna say too on like the the you know black cattle thing being popular. I think that's really on the consumer side, a example of really effective marketing. When you think of when you go to a restaurant and you see the menu, it's like, oh, you know, this is a certified Black Angus New York strip. And what does that really mean? Who, you know, who knows? Does the consumer know? Does anybody know? I don't know. Uh, but that's it's, right. you know, the, the, waitress the point of marketing though is like you make it sound good and appealing and more important. And I totally missed what you said, Brad, but I'm sure it was nothing good. It was important. So, <laughs> Have you ever gone into a restaurant and asked a waitress if it's certified Angus beef, what, breed of uh, animal it is they just stare at you uh, yes i am the guy that will ask what breed of steak it is in the restaurant i i've been to a couple yeah, you're also the guy that gets his food spit on brad that's <laughs> probably it's probably true in some cases yeah <laughs> i i like the restaurants where we end up where we go in and it's already broken down for you by breed i think that's pretty fun i i've been to a couple where it's actually broken down Holstein, Jersey, Angus. And that, that's fun to see on the menu that, that someone's taking the time to look at it and knows enough about it to do that. We're, we're getting closer to the real question for today. Um, we're not quite there yet, but we're, we're getting there and, and that we're saving it because it's going to get Brad really riled up. Let's, let's ask another one that's just, just about on par with that one. How, how much should a producer be spending on beef semen for their dairy to achieve high quality. Emily has good comments about uh, how much you should spend on semen. I would just say it seems that some people may be of the attitude that if I'm a dairy producer, but I'm going to breed some to beef, I just need beef semen, whatever. And they just kind of, you know, get the cheapest thing or they're not really thinking about what they're using, any of that. They're just picking it up. And, and you know, uh, not, not all semen is created equal. I have learned that in my life. And so I think that more thought needs to go into making the decision than just this one is the cheapest because with semen, you get what you pay for. 
I think if people are, you know, dairy producers looking for semen, they want something that's cheap and probably Angus or something that's black hided, which Semitol or those are probably the two breeds that uh, at least uh, and limousine uh, in the upper Midwest that we're using. So the dairy producers aren't thinking about carcass quality when they get uh, beef semen to use on their dairy animals. And they probably should be because that's uh, in the end, uh, they're going to get paid for that if they raise them on their own. But I think, you know, most dairy producers are in the, well, I'm just going to breed it, make calves leave in a week after it's born anyway. So why do I care? And that's probably not the right attitude to have. That that might have worked when we're talking five to 10 years ago, um, as everything was kind of getting kicked off. And, and you see that everybody is just looking for a black hided animal, and they don't care what it looks like phenotypically, or if it looks like a dairy animal, it's just a different color. But now the, the market is flooded enough with animals like that, that buyers can be choosy. They can be picky now, right? So they can say, I don't want that animal that, that looks like just a black Holstein or a black Jersey. They want an animal that looks like a beef animal because that is what they're looking at to say, I'm going to get that 13% more feed efficiency. I'm going to have that animal be on, on feed a hundred days less than a Holstein. And, and it's going to dress out, you know, at 3% higher dressing percentage. And that, that only comes when you get into that quality semen. And I, I'm going to be controversial because I'm going to put a number on it. I think the number is somewhere between eight and $15 semen. I think if you get below that, you can probably get below eight, but it's probably because you're buying a huge volume. I think that that's the sweet spot for me between eight and $15 a straw is kind of where I like to see it. If you get much higher than that, I, I don't know if there's a benefit, but if you get lower than that, you're not going to see the quality and the consistency you need to build your reputation and actually have a market for those animals. I agreed. I think, well, I, I won't go off on my soapbox about how cheap I think dairy semen is in the, in the U S either. I, um, that's not what you see in other parts of the world, but semen has just become a, a cheap commodity on a dairy that uh, doesn't necessarily matter much. So it's always tough. All right, let's get to this big question. How Brad do I choose what breed to use? How am I going to choose what beef breed? Oh, yeah. Good question. Uh, Elton Galloway. That's probably the number one question that everybody's asking everywhere is what breed to use. And of all of the farmers that I talk with, I don't think they're convinced that any breed is the best either. I think they see many differences, whether you have Angus or Limousine or Semmental or Hereford. It's just so different. You know, we should either start talking with feedlots to see what what is happening. So I'll give you an example. At our research center, I'm breeding about 40% of the dairy animals to beef, and it's limousine. Why limousine? Because that's what I can get from the uh, semen salesman at a reasonable price. Uh, they have a lot of, uh, you know, limousine uh, semen here in Minnesota. Other places, not so much, but uh, that's what I have. And somebody convinced me that I shouldn't use Semmental because I might be worried about calving ease. I don't know, maybe Angus will work. Hereford too. I, it's hard to tell, but so I'm using limousine and we're selling those bull calves off at 60 days of age to a person that has a feedlot and he's interested in 
looking at many different breeds. So he's trying to figure out what breed works best in his feedlot. So it's like, ooh, hey, I've got some limousine cross dairy calves. Maybe those are something uh, that he's going to explore to see what feeds out the best. So that's because we have limousine Holsteins and we have sort of limousine crossbred out of crossbred dairy cows. So it's, I think all of these uh, feedlot producers are still trying to figure out what's the best breed as well. And I, I think genetic companies have made, just made some assumptions about what is best based on volume of sales. We'll say it, we'll call it that way. But there, there isn't really all that much data out there that's available uh, to the public to see what is, what is better, what these carcass traits look like. And so I'm convinced that I I honestly don't know if it matters right now because we don't have any of those answers. I I personally think that if you're going to start breeding breeding beef on a dairy and it's going to be a niche market for you or a way to diversify the farm, you just need to pick one and stick with it because you're trying to build a reputation around selling these animals to a feedlot and they want quality and consistency, consistency being a big piece of it. So at this point, I'm pretty convinced you just pick one. And there's a couple things, almost close to Joe's soapbox time, but but one of the things that you have to consider is, I don't care what breed it is, the bull you pick should be homozygous pulled. There's no reason to go with a beef breed if you still have to dehorn. Like, I, it doesn't make any sense to me. So homozygous pulled bull, and then, you know, calving ease is real. You know, maintain your birth weight as much as you can, but then also account for calving ease. Those are the only real two things that I think matter right now because that's all we really have answers on. So it sounds like both of you are arguing the fact that, you know, perhaps yes, breed will, we'll be able to know based on breed, what's the best choice, what's the best option. But it really sounds like management is what people need to be focused on. That's what's going to kind of make or break you. And I think that's true in any situation with whatever type of livestock you have. You can have the best genetics in the world, but if you're not managing those animals well, they are not going to perform at the level you want them to. And so I, that's kind of what I'm hearing in these different things and even just the type of, you know, reproductive and genetics decisions you make, right? That's all management. So I'm interested, Brad, in, in the person that you have um, buying your bull calves um, from the dairy and just that he, he sounds like he is looking at different breeds and they are all being managed the same way. So he may find something, yeah, you know. I agree. And I, you know, I've had these conversations with other producers in the Midwest about trying different breeds so they can raise them all under their conditions so they can actually tell what breed works for them. I think just because this person uses uh you know, Semmental doesn't mean that Semmental will work for another producer. It certainly depends on the genetics of your cows too. You know, we haven't talked about that. Another factor that I don't think people think about. So if you use beef semen on a dairy animal, what do you get? You get 50% heifer calves, roughly. So you have all these beef, you know, dairy cross beef animals and a whole bunch of them are heifers. And those do not feed out like a steer either so there's a lot of those things to consider too and i think that's one thing that's weighing on people's minds too is how do i you know whether they implant or do whatever how do i get these dairy cross uh, beef heifers 
to grow and get to market. I think that comes back to the quality consideration though, because I think if you, you're going to have a harder time with those, those heifers, those beef cross heifers, the lower quality you get, the hard, the, and the higher quality you get, the easier time you'll have because the more they look like beef to me, that that's really the big difference. I, I could see definitely struggling with dairy or beef cross calves that are, that are heifers. If they look like Holsteins, if they look like beef, I, I mean, there's so many markets for that. You know, when I was in Nebraska, we visited a couple feedlots that were 50,000 head a piece and they didn't feed anything but heifers, but right. it's beef. They got to look like beef. And there's different, you know, we, there's differences in sires. We know that too. You know, we can see uh, even in, you know, I've used uh, three different uh, limousine sires in our herd and you can see some differences in the sires and uh, they're, they're not all the same. The, the, those cross calves are not all the same. They look good and they do well, but they just, they're, they're a little different. Yeah. I think we're, we're struggling to figure out how to feed them as well sometimes. And I, I don't know if you've seen that Brad, but I know that feedlots are looking at it like they missed the Holsteins cause they knew exactly how to feed them. And, and we're still going through some growing pains on how to feed these crossbreds and how to get them uh, to market quickly and, and grade well and all of that. So I think, I don't know if you're seeing that at all, Brad. Oh yeah, I think so. And that goes back to Emily's point. It's all starts with management. That's really what it is. If you have good management, you should be able to get these dairy beef crosses to grow well and get to market fast. Yeah. And then I think Emily makes a, a perffect point with management and it goes all the way back to calf, calf health too. You know, these, these feedlots and wherever you're marketing, they don't want calves that have health issues, right? So uh, chronics are probably one of the most expensive things that can happen to a feedlot. So when you're looking at it, I mean, it all goes back to our previous episodes on, on calf health and scours and how to prevent that and how to manage colostrum, right? Uh, and, that, and that's all going to matter just as much as what breed or, or if not more than what breed or genetics you pick to, to cross these animals with. So we didn't really give a, we didn't give anybody an answer, did we? No, on, on we didn't. And I'm sure everybody will be disappointed. They wanted to hear the, the magic breed that we, we should be using. And, um, well, like if I said, they're I, coming here for answers to anything, then we have them <laughs> fooled pretty well. Yeah, that's true. That's true. You know, I, and like I said, I, I've used limousine, but I've thought about going to something else. Maybe story time. I was, when I was in California, some of the, uh, herds were using beef master and we had some beef master steaks one night uh, out at the dairy and they were delicious so it was like hmm, maybe you should use beef master or something else so it's uh, you know it, I, I think any breed will produce a, a good quality carcass that has steaks that are are good so yeah I think maybe it's maybe it's actually a good thing that we don't give everyone an answer you know that's right. Pick one, pick one you like and go. We don't, we don't want all the dairy cross calves to be all of one breed. It uh, would, would be unfortunate. Yeah. I, Variety I is the spice of life. Sure is. I mean, it, it just opens the door for everybody. If you, if you want to use Hereford, if, if that's your thing and, and you're like Brad and Herefords are your, are your, your ticket, use Hereford. See how it goes and, and stick with it and you'll find the market. I think hey, I've actually been thinking Gelvy lately, but Gelvy, you never know. the balancer. Yeah, exactly. Mm, let's get weird. Why not? Why not? 
there's lots of options, lots of options. We just need more research and they need to, you know, fund my research so I can uh, figure out what's the best breed. That's all. Brad's we'll figure, we'll figure it out. Just yeah, we'll figure it out. <laughs> I feel like another research project is just what you need right now, Brad. Oh, yeah. exactly. That's what I, I need. On. That's I right. mean, I would imagine you're just swamped. Hey, I'm willing to do, I, I like doing dairy beef research uh, and I've done more, some in the past and I want to do more. Oh, good. Okay. I, any other burning questions that we can think of, Em, uh, to, to get Brad all fired up? Um, I, or as my mother would say, questions, concerns, scathing rebuttal. Hopefully we get some of those in emails. Yeah. Yeah. That's the moose room at umn.edu. Perfect. Okay. Let's wrap it up. I think we talked long enough. There's going to be plenty on tape here. So like Emily said just now, if you have questions, comments, scathing rebuttals, send them to the moose room at umn.edu. That's T-H-E. M-O-O-S-R-O-O-M at umn.edu. Thank you for listening. We'll catch you next episode. Outtakes. Outtakes. When you're hustling and you're trying to not get killed by mom, people can't count to two well. I feel, I feel like that's appropriate enough to keep in there, right? Oh, yeah. No. I think so. That's going to be like my new trademark, right? I'm going to be like the weird farm safety lady that always wears bows.